How can we make the world better? By making ourselves better. The Dr. Joe Show explores how you can make positive personal change by using his groundbreaking and highly effective I Am approach to understand who we are and why we do what we do. Your small changes can have big effects. Join us now for the Dr. Joe Show with Mark Stiles of Stiles Law, Thomas McCoy, and your host, Dr. Joe Schrand. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Dr. Joe Show. So good to hear that, Mark. It is so good to hear that. You know, it, it just sets the tone for everything. Here we are. Here we are. How have you been, Mark? You doing well? Okay, great. How about you? Good. I am. I am doing great. Usually we banter a little bit, but we have such an amazing show tonight. We have not one, not two, not three, but four incredible guests. And so, with that in mind, Mark, can you go right to it and? Introduce our guests for tonight, please. Yeah, let's talk about our guests who have been here already, Dr. Joe, shall we? Let's let's start with Ross Melbourne, who's joined this time with his wife, Lois. They grew their software business to a global award-winning organization, chief technology officer and CEO, respectively. Now Lois and her storytelling brings to life Ross's deep understanding of the possibilities within artificial intelligence and robotics Mm. parenting and marriage have been the easy part of this equation (laughs) ross's current work includes artificial intelligence and robotics you can learn more about him at rossmelbourne.com and for more information about ross and lois and their new book which we're going to talk a lot about moral code you can visit moralcodethebook.com And of course, Jason Schrand, you all know that last name. Jason is a mechanical engineering PhD student at Vanderbilt University, whose research focuses on designing surgical robots for treating prostate and renal cancers. Before Vanderbilt, he was a software engineer for Medtronic, where he wrote code for the Hugo Robotic Assisted Surgery System. Currently, Jason is exploring how machine learning and computer vision can be used to automate subtasks of robotic surgical procedures, such as suturing and cauterization. And of course, Brianna Wu is a software engineer, a formal congressional candidate, Massachusetts 8th District, and the executive director of Rebellion PAC. She hosts the show Rocket on Relay.fm, focused on technology and tech policy. And that is our group today, Dr. Joe. Wow. Thank you, Mark. And welcome to all of you. I am so excited and delighted to have you here. So I want to start tonight talking about moral code. And uh, Ross, you and I had a chance to chat uh, another time. So I'm going to turn it over to Lois for a moment or two. Tell us a little bit about the book. The, the origins of it, how you guys came up with this. It's just such a wonderful sci-fi story. Well, thank you. Um, Moral Code is a science fiction, but it is the, uh, the story of the AIs that we would like to have. Um, if we could build an ethical framework that all AIs had to work within, which is what Kira, our protagonist, does, um, the most important thing that that AI could do would be protecting children. 
if we could break the cycle of childhood trauma because kids didn't experience the trauma, that's a worthy thing to set off an AI to do. So that was the um, kind of the heart of moral code. And it comes from the sense of creating a ethical framework or a moral operating system that all AIs would need to be working within. But as often happens when technology is created, other people would like to use it in not so great ways. So you wind up with some struggles within the story to prevent the technology from getting in the wrong hands. Hmm. Hmm. How did you guys come up with this idea? Well, Ross gets the credit for the initial, you know, what what could AI do for us? What, what could we make the world better with in AI? And it would be, you know, ethical decisions and really having the that protection for kids. And it kind of started at a, as a, um, if you could write a book, Ross, what, what would it be? I've written children's books but I'd never written a novel before. And this was just kind of a Sunday morning discussion. And it was something he had mentioned before, but we got into brainstorming the whole concept. And um, several hours later, we had a we had an outline that um, changed a lot, but we we spent the day just interacting and, and brainstorming and what if, and We've collaborated together for a couple decades in our software company, so that wasn't surprising. But um, I sat down and started writing. And, but he's the technology uh, visionary for what the possibilities were, and then I'd have to translate that into a storyline. Hmm. So, so let me turn it over to you then, Ross. So where was this concept from, the idea, let's protect children with AI? Yeah, I think it's uh, it's from you know the, where is the future taking us with um, AI and robotics? Um, you know, what if you could extrapolate all the technology forwards, play the tape forward, if you will? What is it going to become, and uh, what is it you really want it to do? And I think that um, you know all of us have this kind of wish. If we had, you know, if we were a billionaire, what would we do? A lot of people say we'd like to, you know, end world hunger. We'd like to end child poverty, for instance. Um, but if we're honest with ourselves, we know that that almost makes us feel bad because we know it's impossible. But what if it was possible and allowed yourself um, to imagine a world where technology comes along that can um, really help every child and, um, and change humanity fundamentally forever? So that's really, really where the ideas came from. And, uh, you know, and Lois um, just kind of ran with the idea and we, we worked on um, the kind of storyline together. And um, and she just became, you know, in my opinion, a brilliant novelist that um, really put together a great story. And, and we've got some great reviews so far and it, even from the technology community. Um, and um, so that's been really very satisfying for both of us to see those reviews. Before we move forward, how do people get the book? So the book's available where it, you can buy most books. Um, the, the place I like to send people to the most is bookshop.org because it supports independent bookstores 
So if you're buying online, that's a great place to go because they're giving back to independent bookstores. And if you order a lot of books, you might want to choose your favorite independent bookstore and they get it as if they had sold the book to you, they get profits from that book. Okay. Can you give us that name one more time for our listeners? Yes. It's bookshop.org. Okay. Bookshop.org, place to get moral code. You know, it's it's a, a really interesting idea. As a child psychiatrist, the idea of protecting children is very appealing to me. The The dilemma is how, and how do we decide what, what protection means, and how do we decide how to get there, and I mean, there's a lot of a lot of nuance to this. So, it, just with a brief overview, what does it really mean from your perspective to protect a child? Lois, do you want to start with that? Well, I can tell you in in our story, there's multiple layers to that process. Um, everything from you know AIs can process artificial intelligence. They can they can process so much more data than people can. So we utilized Ellie, who is our our starring AI in the storyline. You know she's doing things from drafting potential laws that could be passed because she can see where there's gaps. Um, so she can do things that are that kind of very um, bureaucratic level, which is very important, uh, but also to to the extent of there is surveillance um, technology also involved in the book where there are nanites that are being used to track down traffickers, sex traffickers, human traffickers. Mm-hmm. and um, the AIs are using that dust to zero in on how do we bust these guys? How do we break that cycle? And unfortunately, they find that um, in doing that analysis, a lot of those traffickers were abused children themselves and missing children and such from runaways and, and have had these issues that are generational. So going back to the root of the problem, how do you find what caused these people to be the way that they are to create these problems? And it's often abuse in the home. So there's um, there are uh, both audible and physical ways where they intervene because they can surveil and find where there are children that are in distress. <laughs> So I, I I wanted to talk about this and to turn it over to Brianna Wu. We've got Lois and Ross Melbourne, the authors of Moral Code, about artificial intelligence and how to protect children with that. But Brianna, you had some thoughts offline. Where do we go with this? Well, just immediately, um, I, I want to tell a very quick story. Um, Apple, a few uh, just a few months ago, announced a policy for the iMessage feature, where uh, basically it was to protect children. And what they were going to do is to go through every single uh, photograph that came from your account. They were going to use AI on it, and they were going to uh, basically alert parents 
if uh, your if your child was either receiving images that seemed sexual in nature or receiving uh, images that seemed sexual in nature, which makes sense at first blush, right? Like we all want to protect children from predators. But when you start thinking through it, like I grew up in a very religious right household, imagine how that could be weaponized against a child that's gay and is mm. exploring their sexuality would inadvertently out them to their parents. So, yeah, when you start really thinking through these, I think for us as engineers, we get so focused on what can we do. We're not great at thinking about how what we build could be misused. So, you know, when I'm hearing about this story, my first reaction is thinking about all the ways it could just go wrong. I mean, your data sets uh, are going to be based on, you know, our current information that's out there, which is, you know, we don't live in a world with great data sets. It's often very racist and sexist and, you know, misogynist in ways that uh, is very hard to cleanse your data input. So kind of like, what are your thoughts on that with your story? Because that's, I mean, that's the the real impetus to putting something like this together. That's great. Lois, Ross, how would you respond? Yeah, I think that the, the, all those things you just mentioned are the current state of the art in artificial intelligence. And there's, there's some terrible issues that you just mentioned. Um, and so, the, you know, one of the reasons why we developed the story the way we did is to try and combat those very problems. And um, obviously the, the book is set in the future when you know, how would how are we going to solve these problems in the future where the data that you train AIs on is fundamentally biased because the uh, the world historically has had bias um, against um, certain uh, parts of the population. So, you know, how do you combat that? And that's really what the story is addressing. It's addressing, you know, a solution to that problem that, that gradually happens. But it also imagines um, what happens when uh, AI stops becoming just deep learning and machine learning and becomes more like human intelligence. And, um, you know, so it's called generalized artificial intelligence, uh, which nobody has achieved yet, um, where the AI can actually reason. So in your example, um, the AI would reason that um, that this, this child, say 17-year-old, um, is exploring their sexuality and, um, and you know, notifying the parents is probably not appropriate. So again, it's, um, you know, what would you imagine um, an AI that um, had all of the knowledge and experience of Dr. Joe, for instance? You would expect Dr. Joe to react in, in a very proper manner, um, in a way that would safeguard the child. So that's the future we're kind of imagining in the book. And, um, um, and then we try and take it even you know, further than that. But I think it's the reason why the um, ethical decision-making in AI is such a big topic right now, because there are you know, real fears that people have. Yeah, I just want to jump Part in. Part of our story is um, we include the how do you define ethics so that you can have the data set, et cetera. So... Within the story, we've created a crowdsourcing, a global crowdsourcing of definitions of ethics and how do you train ethics. And, and you know, tens of thousands of organizations have contributed their definitions and their training. And 
um, and that have been melded together and tried to, you know, come up with the the core of what is ethical. And but isn't that word for word what like Facebook places. is doing with their harassment policy online? Like what you just said is literally Facebook's ethics board when they decide if they're going to let, you know, say transphobic uh, material on the platform or election denying material on the platform. We have those policies today. Like that's literally what Facebook is doing. And it's it's not working out great when you crowdsource that. So, you know, like, I just, I think it's a little deeper than, than that. But this is what's wonderful about this, about this is that the moral code is beginning this discussion for people who are not aware of AI. Ross, you, you said something early on. I want to pitch it over to Jason on this. You said train AI. What does that mean? Jason, what does it mean to train artificial intelligence? I, I didn't even know that you could do that. Yeah. What is well, this? Well, there are different types of AI. Um, the one, I think the word training most um, is most often used with is called supervised learning. Uh, and that's really where you give, uh, you know, maybe a thousand images to a computer and set, you label them all, say this is a picture of a car, uh, look for patterns, you know, really boil this down into numbers. Uh, and then if I give you another car, you know, go back and look at that model that you, that you created for yourself from those thousand pictures and tell us if, if this one matches from there it's like a probability game you say how close is this of a match to you know this set of numbers uh that i think is a car versus this set of numbers that is not a car but in order for the ai to do that uh you need to first feed it a bunch of in, uh cars you know and you need to tell it what's right and what's wrong um and for any supervised learning algorithm that's really the approach there and and is that the only way to train AI? Uh, well, uh, so there's also unsupervised learning, um, which has different applications. Um, but the thing about unsupervised learning is it might detect patterns. Uh, so Facebook, for example, you know, it could take a look at your social network uh, and say, and maybe recommend a friend, you know, based on uh, connections that it sees. Um, but it can't classify you know a, a result specifically and say hey this is definitely a friend you know it can just look for patterns and make a suggestion and usually you know in, in a lot of applications there will be like a data, data analyst trying to make sense of some of these patterns um but really i think supervised learning is, is i think what maybe the most people think of when they hear the term ai yeah uh, but there are other ways out there yeah the uh, supervised learning is the, the vast majority of of uh, learning and uh, of machine learning and um, and and typically it's uh, trained on enormous amount of, of data, enormous amount of images, uh, millions of images to, to detect objects, for instance. Um, but then there's also um, you know the 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 fact that the training happens in batch. The last time we were on, we talked about this technology from OpenAI called. GPT-3, and uh, Lois and I built a chatbot based on GPT-3. Um, GPT-3 was trained as of um, October 2019. Um, and so you can ask the, the GPT-3 questions, and it knows history up to that point. Um, what, what really needs to happen for, in my opinion, and other people's opinion, for AI to, to become more generalized, more like humans, is we need continuous learning humans learn continuously 
And there's, there's a few technologies available today um, which are you know, considered artificial intelligence, which have continuous learning. Um, and that's really where we've got to make a, a very big leap um, forward to get to continuous learning. And I think that um, there's a few, um, few books out there and a few organizations that are working on this, which is pretty exciting. Hmm. There, yeah, that, there was a, um, uh, an interesting project a little while ago using reinforcement learning, which is another type, um, which is kind of like the, the reward system that the human brain uses, actually. Basically, in reinforcement learning, instead of giving something a million images up front, saying this is right and this is wrong, uh, you basically give a robot a goal and say, just do what you want, you know, try it. Uh, and it, let, let's say we're trying to get a robot to walk. Um, and it will start moving some joints randomly and just start doing what it wants. And you then say, good robot or bad robot. Uh, you press a reward button or you press a punishment button. Uh, and then the robot will slowly learn over time that this behavior was good, this behavior was bad, and start to adjust its behavior. Uh, and you get some interesting results uh, with that, too. Um, I saw one project where someone was trying to teach a remote control helicopter to fly straight and level, uh, and it ended up doing so, but upside down. The uh, <laughs> the uh, the blades were on the bottom, but it was still generating just enough lift, you know, to keep it in one spot. Uh, <laughs> it was something a human would never have thought to do, but, you know, here, there it was. Wow. Yeah, re yeah, reinforcement learning has, has done some incredibly impressive things um, like Go, for instance, that is uh, a famous kind of experiment in um, that um, Google did with um, DeepMind and uh, and they, they programmed with reinforcement learning and AI to play the, the game Go. And um, and most experts believe that, it you know, a machine could never beat the world champion at Go. And it did. It, it beat them beat that world champion quite handily. In fact, I think there's a documentary out there you can watch about that. And um, it's fascinating. Yes, yeah, so reinforcement learning is, is very, uh, very helpful. Um, the, the thing is it takes millions of iterations and um, with robotics, for instance, it's very, very difficult to get a robot to do something a million times so you can train the AI because it's just a matter of physics. You just cannot physically have enough time to do that. And so, that's a fascinating uh, conversation between, um, you know, how you apply AI to robotics. And, um, you know, the, and, and there's a lot of buzz around that right now. Uh, Tesla is coming out with a humanoid robot. Um, OpenAI has tried humanoid robotics before and uh, has some very interesting results. It's a wonderful concept, but, but how do we get there? And the data that is entered for the AI is critical. How do you decide? What's right and what's wrong? I mean, how do you how do you say this person's good, that person isn't, and then develop a moral code? Brianna, you, you had some thoughts on this offline. Yeah, can I can I share a really quick uh, story? This is a real life story about something that happened to me with AI going wrong. So, uh, Microsoft around I think this was 2015 was uh, really getting into deep learning and uh, you know AI, and they wanted to bring forward a chatbot. So they spend millions of dollars and they developed this thing called Tay. Uh, which is their state-of-the-art uh, chatbot. This was uh, before uh, GPT-3. Um, this was one of the predecessors for this. And they go and get all this information offline and ask the public to interact with Tay uh, to help train it and teach it what to say. 
And this was in the middle of Gamergate. And what ended up happening is the public and the information they were getting online was teaching this bot to deny the Holocaust, to you know say women didn't belong in engineering careers, to say some things so racist. I'm not even going to repeat them here on the show. Mm. So you know here you know you say oh we want to crowdsource this open to the public. Well, Tay is a very good example of what happened when you crowdsource these choices to the public to the point that Microsoft actually threw away millions of dollars saying we cannot ethically continue the development of this. So um, what I would love to talk about is like when it comes to you know, deciding what is successful when you're competing two GANs against each other, when you were deciding a positive outcome, when you were deciding how to sanitize your data inputs, like who gets to make that call about what is good and bad, because that is what's going to train the artificial intelligence and, and determine what it ends up being. Yeah, I mean, there's such nuance to this. Ross, you want to respond to that first and then yeah, I think that um, you know the the uh, OpenAI's GPT three is an interesting example of this because it's trained on you know a huge swatch of of data from um, from the internet, including a lot of chats and Reddit and um, enormous amounts of information. And some of it is is just not um, not very good. Um, it's 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 all the things, all the bad things you can imagine. And so what's interesting is if you want to consume um, GPT-3, um, you have to have a contract with them. And, and part of that contract is um, you, you actually have to take the answer that GPT-3 gives back to you, and then you send it back to OpenAI with another API call. And that API call comes basically does that moral judgment on it. Is this, you know, is this um, a nice response or is it something people would be uh, offended by and um and i don't know that's kind of a black box but to, to you know basically what they're doing is they're trying to solve the problem that was just discussed and um you know so it's it's an ongoing issue and um and i think that you know at least the attention has been drawn to it now so um you know engineers are trying their best to um you know to solve it but i would say that um you know what is the intention of things? Now, social media, the intention of the individuals contrib contributing, a lot of times is just attention. That's their reward function, getting back to reinforcement learning. There's always a reward function, and that reward is, is, is attention. But if you ask people to crowdsource you know, what is right and wrong, um, then what you're doing, hopefully you're opening up to a large enough group that you, know, you can find a commonality. And I, I think that if you open up you know, moral questions to a large enough population of people, if you crowdsource, you would get, you know, you'd get the wisdom of crowds working, you know, as you'd expect. I don't think you'd end up with, with something really bad. So I think that the reason why the things went off the rails before was just a limited um, kind of input. Mm -hmm. So and, and to make a story, um, to make the science fiction, you know, we... We also wanted to educate people on the fact that bad data in and that there is bias training. And, you know, an example in the story is that the AI assumes that during a, a raid on a um, 
trafficking ring, a sex trafficking ring, that the woman that was in the room, um, that all of the women were victims. But hmm. once they started interviewing all of the people in the room, all but one woman said that that one woman was one of the traffickers. And so we, you know, that's one example of how there is a discussion about the AI had been trained on biased data. And so by trying to create a story for people that aren't, you know, trained in the art of AI, it's, um, we're trying to give here are some of these examples and here are some of the issues and, and, um, and at, I, I share your concerns that just like with uh, education systems of people, if you give them bad data, they come out with bad decisions. And it's critical that we, um, that we focus on all elements of, of how do we make sure that information is good and that it is valid and that that is a very important part of all of this development that we start going forward and we've got to get it right now because yeah. mm -hmm. this is the foundation of this technology that's going to permeate every part of our life so uh, it it's such an important discussion so in in the book you're just sort of giving these examples of what what could happen, what could go wrong. And you're right. I mean, it's, it's all dependent on, on the data input. You know, there's, in, in psychiatry and psychology, there's a really interesting story about a person whose family is hungry. And so somebody goes and steals food. Now, stealing is wrong. But feeding your family is not wrong. So how on earth... Do we come to terms with that, Jason? I mean, is there a way that, that well, we can that, I mean, get that's AI the, to, to manage that? That's a good point. And I think it also comes down to what they have as input. You know, you could have a bunch of, let's say you uh, have an AI that's trained on, you know, that, that sees, look at all these good people following the law. You know, following the law is a thing that good people do. Um, so therefore, stealing is wrong. Uh, and it might come to that conclusion. But if you gave it a different data set, um, you know, the same AI, you know, just trained on different data could very easily reach the other conclusion, say, oh, you know, feeding your family is correct. Uh, mm -hmm. And maybe there's a higher weight given to that than following the law. Um, but the thing is, like, humans can think of any of the all these arbitrary scenarios. We're really good at we're really good at it. Um, AI, at least as the technology is currently if it comes up against something that it hasn't seen in its training data set, uh, it, it just blows up, you know. Uh, AI, at least right now, cannot improvise, hmm. um, which is, you know, in, in the first chapter of your book, you, you, you know, I don't want to say any spoilers, but you mentioned uh, that uh, some improvisation was needed to land a helicopter. Uh, and so the human had to take over. And I think that's, you know, very illustrative of, you know, the difference between human intelligence and artificial intelligence. Uh, so I guess... One of my questions is, you know, yes, you know, one of the science fiction elements that we talked about is um, getting, you know, this this truth data, you know, like, but let's like who who is it that says what's right and wrong? 
Um, but let's imagine that there is a person, you know, like someone meditating under a waterfall who's always making the moral decision. And everyone just goes <laughs> to this this hypothetical person, you know, who's wise beyond years um, and says, you know, what do we do? You are the training data for this AI. How do you quantify that still? Even if you have the perfect, you know, moral code, how do you actually uh, get a computer to interpret it? Um, you need to be able to put two and two together in any one of these infinite circumstances and collect data from all over the place and make inferences and make instinctive decisions um, to, to handle situations like the one you just talked about with where someone's stealing a loaf of bread to feed his family. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the, uh, the, the thing that is hard to imagine is um, the amount of data being captured being exponentially larger than it is today. Um, you know, the amount of things that happen in our regular lives and civilization, how much of civilization has been digitized? Like for instance, um, every court in America over the last five years, um, every single case, everything that's been put for a jury or a judge, imagine all of that being captured um, and being put into AI, uh, machine learning today, um, I'm pretty sure that it would um, be able to, if you, if you, you know, gave it the inputs of some of those cases, that, you know, 20% of them, and say predict the outcome of those cases, it would probably get probably greater than 99.9% right because of the, the data. So that is one way today you could... Um, you, know, you, you could ask, uh, uh, you know, the AI, this person stole to feed this family, what would a judge say? You know, most judges, you would assume they'd say, well, we're going to give you a suspended sentence or something, or it's community service, but you know, we're going to send you to jail because you did a good thing. You should just shouldn't have stolen. You should find some other way to, for the government to step in to feed these people. You know, you'd imagine it would do basically what the legal system does today. And, and it begs the question, you know, is the legal system, you know, can it, you know, scale enough to deal with everyone's problems? And I would say today it can't. So ultimately, you know, we're going to be dealing with machines to help us with medicine, for instance. Um, you know, I think that I think the Japanese, the Chinese will beat us to an AI that um, can, can, you know, cure people's diseases and help them. Um, whereas, and, and that comes down to privacy, data, you know, data privacy and personal privacy in China isn't what it is in the rest of the world, but they, they have access to enormous amount of medical data um, that they can build into an AI. I'm not sure if, as and when they'll do it, but that's my prediction. Do you mind if I just tell one very quick anecdote that links directly on that story you were just telling about the criminal justice system? We yeah. have that today. That exists today. Uh, there's a major uh, company that has an AI out that is actually mandated to help judges determine sentencing when uh, people are found guilty on crimes. And one of the really big problems with that software, this isn't science fiction, this exists in our world today. They did an independent security audit on it, and they found that it was giving black people 25% longer sentences than white people. And, you know, just for a personal note, you know, 
I, I've often been the engineer in the meeting that's like, how can this go wrong? I, it's not something I enjoy, but I really think we, we can't just hand wave these problems away. If we are telling the, the, the public that this future can exist, I think it's not enough for us to sit here and hand wave and say, well, we'll, yeah, we'll I've got figure to stop this out. Because, We've really, because, really you know, got to wrestle I've got to stop with you there this. because yeah. we're not hand waving this. Sure. You know, like we've spent four years mm-hmm. writing a book to try and educate the world on both, you know, childhood trauma as well as the what the future of AI can be and how we got to change it to make the world better. And so hand waving is not a part of this. So, so Mark, before we go on, what do you think about this discussion? Where I'm, uh, I'm fascinated by the future, and I think, um, I think it's moving really fast. You were starting to say, you know, the layperson, the non-engineer, the non who's who's not involved in AI and and the discussion every day. Um, it's 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 could be a runaway train, and I think you know to to put some guardrails on it now is probably too late. So. You know, hmm. hoping that the you know hoping for the best, preparing for the worst is um, is kind of the the pathway for success, and hoping that some of the the bright minds and the moral minds will come together and and put some guardrails on this because um, it will eventually be you know synergistic with with the uh, with the human intelligence. I think at least that's what my understanding is. It the, the, the limited understanding that I have of where this is going. I mean, for me, the idea that artificial intelligence, I, I look up something on my computer and then the next thing I know I'm getting ads on it. So I've entered data. And as a result, I guess I have done, is that supervised stuff without even meaning to that I've, that I've told my computer, this is what I'm interested in. And so it then begins to to populate all these ads. Is that artificial intelligence? Brianna, what do you think? Um, I think it it is artificial intelligence, but the goal is not in your interest in that in that case. It's towards You know, a number of different variables, like on Facebook, it would be how many uh, minutes they can make you sit there scrolling your newsfeed or how right. many times you click through an ad and actually purchase something. You know what? Um, you know, you're a, you're a psychologist. You can. Appreciate no, no, it's worse. It's worse. I'm a psychiatrist. psychiatrist. Oh, worse well, than a psychologist. Do not call him a psychologist. I'm a psychiatrist. Uh, speaking from the psych- psychological point of yes, view. Yes, yes. Um, you know, what's really interesting is a lot of these systems are constantly trending us towards what's most extreme. Us as humans, we like to look at the thing that's the, it's the car crash syndrome, right? Which is why social media is making us look at more and more extreme things here. So I really, uh, you know, it's why if we're talking about AI, you have to really ask yourself who's setting the inputs on this. Mm, You know, these are very expensive systems to develop. Even deep learning, you're working with Google's APIs, right? You're working with, uh, you know, Amazon's W3, Web3 technology. You know, you've got to, I'm I'm not going to run a backend that can uh, calculate all these things. So, you know, who is making those decisions? What the, who the profit is for? Like, that's not a, a secondary consideration here. It's a primary one. Like, look at cybersecurity. We know what good cybersecurity protocols are right now overall, but 
because the money men get involved, it's very expensive to do the right thing. So often we take shortcuts and the outcome of that is we have a lot of identity theft online and all kinds of scams, right? That's the result of these systems choosing to not do the right thing, but to do the things most profitable and easiest for them. I think when it comes to AI, if you're trying to determine what's a good input and what's a bad input, like y'all gave an example of uh, basically the the API callback with uh, 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 GPT-3, which is basically doing a context-sensitive analysis, looking at a very base reading of the words, saying, are these positive or do they seem negative to you? And if so, let's just flag them and get them through. That's a lot cheaper to do than having a human actually in that loop thinking about the context and, and giving a deeper analysis on it. So I think those profit motives are really going to hold us back on moving this forward. So so what, Jason, do you want to add something? Oh, I yeah, I, I had a question about uh, the moral code uh, that's kind of related to what um, uh, Brianna was talking about with the um, who's setting the input. Um, I didn't read the whole book. You know, I, I've only... <laughs> read the first little bit, uh, but I was really interested in the seeker dust um, that basically, you know, it, you, you shoot it out of a cannon, you got all these little nanites uh, um, photographing things from every possible angle to reconstruct a room. Um, a lot of privacy concerns with that. Um, in your book, did you explore uh, people who may have exploited that? Yeah, I mean, I that think that's a great question. Go ahead, Lois. That is part of the tension is that in the wrong hands, um, that surveillance would be horrible. And there are characters that um, want to do horrible things with it. And what are the precautions that are needed in order to protect um, changes to be able to be made if someone were able to take over the system? And uh, sometimes that could be quite drastic. So the, you know, it is an element of, hey, here's some really cool stuff. You know, there's, there's a scene where characters go and they look at the development of the, um, at a museum, an exhibit about the atomic bomb. And the discussion is, just because we can build it, does that mean we should? And, you know, they they battle with that because the two people have very different opinions about it. And, and, you know, one saying, well, look at all of the things that were developed because we, you know, played with radiation, play being a horrible word to put there, but that's, you know, are the perspectives. So yeah, there's, there are bad people are going to do bad things with technology. And my objective was, Let's set instead of all science fiction being, you know, racing to dystopia, let's look at what could happen if we do this right. You know, mm -hmm. a lot of science fiction is motivational for aspiring engineers, you know, that those young kids that read it and they, you know, Snow Crash inspired Google Earth and Star Trek inspired flip phones you know i mean there's there's a whole series of inspiration yeah there's some aspirational elements to it definitely it's science fiction um i also say you know i i don't have any misogyny in the tech world that these 
female engineers are working with because it's science fiction. It's not a documentary. You know, <laughs> Brianna's smiling because this is this this affects her personally. Folks, I so appreciate Brianna. You're gonna be coming on the show again at some point. Just call me up if uh, my schedule's free, I can do it. That's great, great. Excellent. Jason, you too, I hope. And Lois and Ross, welcome back anytime. I hope the Thank book you. really takes off. It's so important. Mark, you Thank and I will be chatting. Thanks, everybody. Good. good night. Thank See you all later. Thank you. Bye. Bye.